And he kept repeating the phrase, so near and yet so far. And he gave examples of different uh, situations and even in his own family where he said they were so near to God. His father was a church warden, yet he was so far away. Now, I think if I was listening to that today, I'd probably say Harry was being a bit judgmental. (laughs) But at the time, that really struck a chord with me. Because that's precisely where I was. I'd heard uh, a few people talk about the need for a relationship with God. Uh, Not just a head knowledge, but an understanding that you walk with him day by day. And that phrase, so near and yet so far, stuck with me. Uh, It brought me awake, I suppose. I felt just the same. I was so near. I was with all these great people. I was in the church building. I was listening to the word that was being spoken. I didn't know it for myself. Now, you may remember that we're following uh, a book in our series called Living His Story, written by Hannah Steele. Uh, And she talks in uh, the chapter we're looking at today of um, a passage from the Bible, actually from Mark 5, where a a man possessed by many demons uh, called Legion uh, meets Jesus and on sight he calls Jesus the Son of God. Now they will not have met before. Legion had probably not heard any of the stories of Jesus, any of his phrases and yet calls him the Son of the God Most High and Jesus ministers to that person and they're healed. And if you remember, the demons rush off into a herd of pigs that run down the hillside and into the lake and drown. The healed man, now in his right mind, uh, speaks to Jesus, and Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm going off on my travels on to the next town. You can stay here and tell the people all that's happened to you. Which seems slightly strange that Jesus doesn't want his entourage around him, but sends this man off uh, into his village. And the Bible says that he does. He goes into the Decapolis, or around the local area, in other words, and tells how much Jesus has done for him. You see, there is nothing so compelling as a personal story. Now, my... uh, conversion at uh, St. Saviour's Church when I heard Harry Sutton was not so dramatic. I cannot tell you the time when I actually became uh, a Christian. It was some unknown point in the future that I asked Jesus to be my friend, my rescuer and the guide for the rest of my life. And actually I suspect if I asked around the church today that would probably be the story of most of us. That we can't actually pinpoint a time when we knelt and said, I was this, I'm now that. It's more of a slow dawning, uh, probably a reluctant acceptance for some of us. And I don't want you to think that that's a problem. 
that's really not an issue it will connect us actually with more people because that is the experience of more people and it's for that reason that actually I chose a slightly different reading for us to look at this morning because it's a gradual conversion the Ethiopian eunuch was probably a Jew or he was already converted to the Jewish uh, faith he'd just been to Jerusalem to worship a God so he was so near and yet clearly he was so far away he was travelling home when Philip who's prompted by the Holy Spirit runs up to the chariot or carriage whatever he was travelling in and he hears the Ethiopian uh, reading the words from the Bible he's reading a story it's a prophecy about the coming saviour the person who's going to rescue humankind but the eunuch doesn't understand what is being said so Philip starts from exactly that point he starts where the eunuch already is and he explains who the prophet's writing about he explains the meaning of the life the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then there's understanding from the Ethiopian and there's an awareness of his need of his loving provision the loving provision of God and this story of God the story of Jesus collides with the Ethiopian at that point and he believes it for himself and he says that story I want that story to be part of my story and my story now to be part of God's story and the eunuch immediately says there's water, I want it now and I want to be baptised now and he is so we have two stories here the one of a demon possessed man incredibly dramatic and the one of the Ethiopian in some ways also dramatic but actually it's very gradual and then boom, it's very sudden but in both the transformation is total it's complete they both have an engagement with God as one person and they come out of that encounter as something different because the man goes off to tell the villagers the Ethiopian goes off rejoicing Philip goes off continuing to preach the word of God until he reaches Caesarea all of them had grown a new chapter in their story and we rejoice with them don't we we rejoice with them at that story it's exciting, it's fantastic to speak about Jesus it's wonderful that they go off proclaiming how great God is but that's for them it's not for me I, don't, I don't, don't do that sort of thing that's not my daily life really? how does Philip do it? how does he do that? I'd like to say he listens, he's bold, he's prepared he answers, he speaks personally and he allows the Holy Spirit repeat after me no, I'll, do, I'll go through that again he listens Philip is prompted by the Holy Spirit I was talking to someone in the, in the week who, who felt that perhaps they weren't being prompted by God 
but they have a daily life. I have a daily life. And sometimes I'll turn left instead of right. Sometimes I'll say yes instead of no. Sometimes I'll give someone a phone call because I just think about them. And Philip here is prompted. He's prompted to go up to that chariot and he doesn't stand by the chariot and listen and think, oh, that's good. He's, he's reading about the, uh, Jesus Christ, the coming, uh, the prophecy of Jesus. That, that's fine. No, he's, he's bold. And he says, do you understand what you're talking about? What you're reading? This chap is a royal official. But that doesn't matter. He's a person. Bear in mind that the Jewish world was still expecting their Messiah. Jesus had come. He'd lived. He'd died. He'd been resurrected. And they were still expecting the Messiah. So that's the, the, the uh, context in which the Ethiopian is reading the passage. He wouldn't have put two and two together. And so Philip challenges him. says, do you understand? He's bold. And he's prepared to give an answer. They wanted someone to free them from their oppressor. But Philip says, I've met someone who's done that for you. Jesus had set Philip free. No longer under the requirement to work his way to heaven, to try and be perfect. He was under the free grace, the love of God, whereby everything that he'd done wrong had been put right. And so Philip was free to meet with God, to speak with God, to walk with God, to have a relationship with God. And so he can speak personally about that relationship. And so he does. Until the Holy Spirit prompts the eunuch and he prompts Philip to say, now is your moment. There's the lake, there's the water, now is your moment. So I think that's all got a few lessons for us today. I think it's worth pointing out straight away that the healed man goes away and tells other people. The Ethiopian goes away rejoicing. And there are two people who have met Christ for the first time and they're both happy. And we're sometimes horrified or terrified to tell other people about God because we think they won't like us. Why? If they meet with God, they're going to be delirious. Yet still we're terrified. My conclusion would be that an encounter with God is good news. So why are we keeping it to ourselves? We should be open. We should be prompted. We should be bold. We should be prepared. Now, Philip does not launch into something pre-prepared, but he is prepared to talk about what he's prepared to talk about. And in his mind, he is prepared to talk about the goodness of God. And in that moment, he's prepared to do it. Do we know the story of God? Do we really know the story of God? And do we know our story, our own story? Because God has met with us and through our thought process, through our behaviour, we might have been struck or by a thought or prompted by something because we believe God wants us to do it. 
Now there will be many of us here who do not think we have a story to tell. It's so mundane. It's got none of the dramatics. It's not the Emma Raducanu story. I woke up one day and I'd won the US Open. Wow! (laughs) No. I can't tell you when I became a Christian. But I know that since I've become a Christian, God has met with me on numerous occasions. Let me read you something from one of my uh, favourite authors, Philip Yancey. Actually, I'll put my glasses on first, otherwise we won't get anywhere. He is writing about a God that he can't see. And he said, I think of the person who's influenced my Christian life more than any other, the missionary surgeon Paul Brand. Over a 15-year period of time, I wrote three books with Dr. Brand. I accompanied on trips to India and England, where together we traced the main events in his life. This is just a normal relationship. I changed because of my relationship with Dr. Brand, who'd become a channel of spiritual growth for me. My faith strengthened as I had a living model of a person enhanced in every way by his own relationship with God. I now view justice, lifestyle, money issues largely through his eyes. I see the natural environment differently. I look at the human body and especially pain in a very different light. My relationship with Dr. Brand affected me deeply in my core, on the inside. Yet as I look back, I can think of no instance in which he imposed himself on me or manipulatively sought to change me. I changed willingly, gladly, as my world and myself encountered his. A similar process, I believe, works with God. I become who I am as a Christian by relating to God in ways mysterious and often hard to describe yet never coercive or manipulative. I have changed over time because of my contact with God. That's just a normal story. That is Philip Yancey living his life. But he's living his life with his friends who influence him and with a God who is his saviour and has become part of his story. Have you ever read that other book, um, Mitch Albom's uh, Five People You Meet in Heaven? Anyone read that? Somebody must have done. One, two. Wow. You should. It's a really interesting book. It's about Eddie. Eddie who dies. And in heaven he meets five people that he has influenced or who have influenced him and he never knew he never even knew of their existence yet somehow because their worlds collided Eddie's life changed that's a fascinating concept isn't it our story may not be one of transformation from drugs to deliverance of crime to Christ. But it's a story of my life 
walking with God. It's a relationship that I have with God. And it's normal. Well, I think it's normal. You may think I'm very odd, but I mean, I think it's normal. In all the small things that I've experienced, in all those decisions that I've taken looking back in my life, some good, some awful, I still walked with God. And that's my story. So I have a personal story to share which no one else can because it's mine. And do you know the extraordinary thing is that you have a personal story which no one else can share because it's yours. I think sometimes I am too ready to say about things it was a bit of a coincidence that. As luck would have it. Why don't I just name it? Hmm? God did something really special for me today. That's the truth. Why don't I name it instead of just brushing it aside as a coincidence? Your story may not seem compelling and exciting to you, but to someone else it will. Because it will be real, it will be honest, it will be you being vulnerable, it's your personal testimony, and it's yours. And remarkably, you will be amazed at how close your story is to somebody else's. Because they will be sitting there or standing in the queue thinking they don't deserve the love of God either. Just like you. They'll be thinking, God doesn't speak to me. And you can say, but he does. And he will and he wants to. Because I thought like that. And he does to me. We can all change people's lives at the bus stop, in the supermarket, at the school gate, wherever it is. We can all change people's lives. We do all change people's lives. I was, uh, I, I did, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I will. Um, I, I was talking in St. Saviour's one day and uh, as always you stand at the back as people go and they say, you know, nice sermon vicar. Yes, you mean you could hear me? The PA was working, that's good. But actually this one person stopped and said, thank you for that, David. I said, oh, thank you. He said, no, you've, w- we've been struggling at home for weeks over a decision and you just made it for us. I felt absolutely terrible. I've made the decision for you. Don't put that responsibility on me. But the point was that they believe, not through what I'd said, but just by being there and by being challenged by God, God had spoken to them. That was just me being normal. And apparently, someone felt that God had spoken to them. Praise God. Certainly wouldn't have been me. I was, I don't know, I was about 32 at the time. No life history and life experience whatsoever. But we all have life. We all do life. We all have a story. My question to you is, what is yours?
and how are we telling it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for meeting with us. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for walking with us day by day. Wherever we are, however we feel at the moment, however comfortable we may be in the pew or in our chair at home, rouse us, lift us up, that we may walk your path and live your story day by day. In your name we pray. Amen.